This episode is sponsored by Flues. Flues is an app that helps you earn cash back when you shop and when your friends do too. Flues helps members harness the power of their connections so everyone earns through an ever-expanding social network. Sign up with Flues using our referral code, RICHBYINTENTION, to get three vouchers for up to 35% cash back on select merchants. Hey, it's RJ. And Angie. And this is the Rich By Intention podcast. On this episode, we have a very special guest, two-time number one national best-selling author, financial expert, and host, Rachel Cruz. We've been fans of Rachel for a long time, and we're so excited that she could join us. Yep. Rachel serves at Ramsey Solutions and teaches people to avoid debt, save money, budget, and how to win with money at any stage. In this episode, we discuss her new book, Know Yourself, Know Your Money. What I love about her new book is that it really gets down to the psychology of why we have the relationship with money that we do and actionable steps to make changes. You will learn a lot from this episode, so we hope you enjoy. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you so much for coming on, Rachel Cruz. We're such huge fans of yours, and you have inspired us to do a lot of things that we've accomplished, such as paying off our debt. So we're just glad that you could come on. All the great things that you have done for so many is definitely something that we aspire to do. So we just thank you for coming on. Thank you for coming on, Rachel. Well, thank you guys. Thanks for having me. Seriously. And your story and all you guys have done is absolutely incredible. So I love that we're, we get to lock arms with this message and help people. It's so fun. So I love it. Love what you guys are doing. Exactly. So thank you, Rachel. We're super excited. So you have a new book. Um, know yourself, know your money. Can you um, just tell us about your new book? Yes. Well, I'm so excited about this because for 11 years now, I've been talking about the how-to of money, right? So how to budget, how to get out of debt, how to invest, how to refinance, how to give, how, how, how. And with this book, I wanted to kind of go under that foundation and start asking the why questions. Why do we handle money the way we do? And once we can understand that kind of the heart and the motivation behind our money decisions, I feel like we're able to really change our money habits and change what we've been doing and seeing and how we've been viewing money. So So this book, it's a little bit more on the psychology side, I guess, a little bit of unpacking who you are. So everything from your childhood to your dreams, your fears, your tendencies, your personality, all of it, understanding really that why. Wow, that's great. So so in the book, you talk about the different types of money classrooms and how they shape the way we handle money. Can you explain what those are and how they impact us? Yes. Well, when I was writing this book, I you know, was writing out and I was like, okay, well, in a household, realizing that money is communicated in two ways. It's communicated verbally, like what you're saying, but it's also communicated emotionally. So the feeling around the home is, is huge. And so again, as I was writing the book, I realized, you know, this and I'm typing it out and writing and thinking about it. And I was like, oh my gosh, this creates like a graph. I was like, oh. God gave me a quadrant and I'm so happy about it. Like it's this beautiful four thing, you know, this four squared quadrant of really your money classrooms and what it ends up being. So the first money classroom is the anxious money classroom. And it's where it's emotionally stressed, but verbally closed. So money is not talked about, but man, you feel the tension around it. So if you grew up in this household, probably by toward the end of the month when bills were due, you felt the tension, you felt your, you know, your parents or parents tighten up everything and it just, ooh, you could feel it. Classroom two is the unstable money classroom. And this is where it's verbally open, but emotionally stressed. So lots of conflict, lots of fighting. Money was talked about, but usually in a stressful type way. Then classroom three is the unaware money classroom. And this is where you're emotionally, it's emotionally calm, but verbally closed. 
So I like to say, if you grew up in this classroom, you were probably the person that got off on your own, you know, whether out of high school or out of college, and you realize, I know nothing about money. Like, no one ever taught me anything. And I didn't think it was a big deal, but I realized it is a big deal, you know, because it just wasn't really a thing growing up. And then classroom four is definitely the healthiest money classroom. And this is pure money classroom. And this is where it's verbally open, but emotionally calm. So money is talked about. There's conversations about it. It's not a taboo subject, but it's also emotionally calm, meaning the adults in your life in that household had a level of control over their money. So you could have $10 in this classroom. You could have 10 million. But the idea is that, again, no matter what amount of money was there, there was a plan in place. It was agreed upon. It's not like your parents were perfect, but they there was actually an action, you know, an actionable step-by-step thing that they were doing. So, so that classroom four, I really encourage my readers to take their nuclear current family and really push toward that fourth money classroom. But for everyone to look back and say, okay, this, I grew up in classroom one or classroom two, classroom three, classroom four. It really shows how you see money the way you do and why you handle money the way you do today. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's really important to, you know, understand that and identify, you know, what classroom or what experience you had growing up so you can kind of fix or improve, you know, your viewpoints on money. That being said, um, we're all wired differently when it comes to money. In the book, you talk about seven major uh, money tendencies. Can you share a few of those and why they matter? Yes. So the tendency part was fun to write about because I feel like money can be so black or white sometimes. Like I feel like it can be kind of shameful or if you don't do it this way or that way, it's kind of this like hard and fast rule where I wanted this to be something that you were good no matter what tendency you had. Like there was a level that it's okay. The extremes can be unhealthy, but like for instance, spender versus saver, that's a that's a tendency. You either lean on the spectrum more spender or more saver. But I feel like in the money world, the spenders are shamed. They're like, oh, you're a spender. I'm a saver and I'm wise, right? Like, and I'm like, no, there's not a right or wrong. It's not good or bad. I'm a spender. I've just learned how to save. And so the extremes are bad on both ends. But yeah, so the tendencies I wanted, not a right or wrong, you know, I don't want it to be like this right or wrong scale. So saver versus spender is one. One is when you buy something, do you like to buy the quality item? You want to buy something nice? Or would you rather have quantity? So you'd rather have more items to choose from, but maybe less expensive. So I lean on the on the quantity side. I would rather have 30 pairs of cheap earrings that I get to pick from or whatever, you know, versus like a really nice pair. Well, my husband is quality. He's like, no, if we're going to buy a TV, it's going to be one that's going to last us for a long time. We're not going to buy a cheap one. We're going to buy a nice one, you know. And I'm like, ah, buy three cheap ones. We'll figure out where to put them. You know, I don't know. I'm just so much more quantity. What are you guys? I'm curious. Are you quality or quantity? I would say we can relate. I think I'm more quantity. And I say I'm probably more uh, quality. I like quality, but, you know, I mean, there's a huge debate regarding like frugal and cheap, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and sometimes, you know, you're, you're cheap. Sometimes you're frugal. Sometimes you're like uh, cheap ghoul, right? I like to mend the boat. Fruit cheap, right? So, I love so, that. Yes. Well, I was going to say the next tendency I love too, asking the question, why do you want money? So there's the scale of some people want money for security. So I do talk to people and they're like, all I want is I just want to, I want to sleep at night. Like I don't want to be stressed. I don't care if there's anything else in the world. I just want to feel like I am secure. There's a level of security. That's why they want to win. And then other people are more status, which status is not a bad word. It sounds bad, but it's not supposed to be that you want to win with money so that you can do things so that you can drive a fun car or go on a great vacation. So So I lean more status. I'm like, I will budget. I will invest. I will do the things I need to do so that I can do other fun things 
where my husband, he's more security. He's like, oh, you know, he like shoots for a number in the bank. He's like, I just want to get that number in the bank and I'll be good. I'm like, so that we can do what with it? Like, what, like, what are we going to do with that number in the bank? So knowing your motivation of why you want money is a great question to ask. So what are, are you guys more security or status? Would you say, where do you lean? Definitely security. Yeah. Security. I think yeah. we're both security. So okay, there you go. There you go. It's great. It's awesome. But we, so but we like nice things now and then, right? Yeah. The status. No, the, totally. The- yes. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it's a, it's a, there's a moderation to all of this, right? The extremes, like we said, the extremes are bad. Like the status people, you could get, so caught up in what you're buying, what you're wearing, the materialism, right? Like that's, that's the extreme of that. And then the security extreme is the, is the hoarding, right? The mentality that you're like, okay, yeah, I never want to buy something nice because I just want to hold my money so tightly. And that's not healthy either. So yeah, there's a moderation for sure. But again, there's seven of these tendencies and it was just kind of fun to dissect and figure out. And it's helpful too, if you are married to read it and to know where your spouse falls on it, because it just starts good conversations. There's another one, things or experiences. When you spend money, would you rather spend it on experiences or things? And I'm experiences. I'm like a, a nice dinner out or a great vacation. And my husband is a thing. Like he likes things. And so we're literally the opposite on all of these. <laughs> but like Christmas this year, I laughed because I'm like, I just wanted, I mean, it was COVID. So it was a little bit different, but I was like, I just want a spa gift card. I'm going to go to the spa and get a <laughs> massage and a facial all together in one day. And he was like, I kind of want a drone. And I was like, okay, well you can get a drone, but I want to get a massage, you know, like, so it's just, it's just different, but it's all, it's both great. I love this because it can really spark conversation between couples so that as they're reading the book together, it's kind of fun to figure out like which one your partner is. So I love that. And I definitely think couples will get good use out of it. So, yeah, it's, so it's fun. and when, when you talk about things or experiences, I'm, I'm an yeah. experienced person, right? I think around, you know, the holidays, Christmas time, like I'm fine with getting socks and, you know, a t-shirt, you know, it's yeah. <laughs> <So. laughs> exactly right. Exactly right. Yep. I love it. Yep. So, so you talk a lot about fear in the book and, you know, fear holds us back in so many ways. Can you like talk about the different types of fear we experience with money? Yes. So fear was an interesting one to write about because every time I come across the word fear or I think about fear, it's always like, it's 100% negative, right? I'm like, it's bad. It's bad. It's bad. It's bad. But I were talking to Chip Dodd, Dr. Chip Dodd about this um, emotion. And I remember he told me, he said, you know what, fear can actually be a gift because fear can show you and tell you literally your body's response that you are in need of something. And I thought about that because I thought that was so smart because, you know, in 2020, there was a lot of fear around money. So many people lost jobs. They were furloughed. They weren't able to pay their bills. And so what that fear did and what, what I would pray it did is motivate someone to say, okay, I'm not in a good spot. Like this is, I don't want to be in this spot again, financially. If this is where I'm going to be for the rest of my life. I'm not okay with that because I don't like how I'm feeling. This is not good. I need to change what I've been doing with my money to get a different result. And so again, listening to your money fears will tell you what you are in need of. And maybe that means you change your money habits. Maybe it means you do something totally radically different with your money. But yeah, there are six money fears that I talk about in the book. And and one of them is, is that lack of security. There's a fear that am I going to be okay if something happens. And actually this is women's number one top financial fear is this. And so, and it's a real question, you know, and if you are one of the 40% of Americans that couldn't cover a $400 emergency in cash, 
last year. This is a real fear for you. And so letting it be that wake up call to say, okay, I need to do something different. I need an emergency fund. I need to get to the place where I am debt free and my income can actually work for me versus the bank. Like, you know, it starts to make you question these things that you've been doing, which, which is really great. There's another fear that because of external forces, I'm never going to be able to win with money, you know, whether it's corporate America or it's who's elected to president or a pandemic. And there's these things that are completely out of our control that we don't have a say in. And so to realize if that's your fear and you're sitting there watching the news and wringing your hands day in and day out to be able to say, okay, what can I control? Like, what are things in my life day to day? Because I can't control DC. I can't control corporate America. I can't control, you know, things, some of the things going on. What can I control? And you can control the money that's coming into your household and what you do with it, right? You can control your work ethic and, and, and what you decide to do. You can control the people you hang out with, who you surround yourself with, what's feeding your mind. Like there are things in your life that you can have control over and to focus on that stuff, like putting the power back in your hands versus depending on everything else or, or anyone, someone else. And so, but these fears are real. I mean, there again, there are six of them and, it, and it's a real thing that can be paralyzing. And I don't want that fear to get to where it is paralyzing people, but I wanted enough to say, okay, I'm feeling this. Like I'm literally feeling my heartbeat faster. or my, my palms are sweating, right? Like when you think about something with money, like what is that thing that sparks that even physical reaction? And what is that telling you? And maybe you need to do something different. Yeah, so agree. And, and as I was reading, book, I thought of fear. And it's, and a lot of times it's, you know, false evidence appearing real. And I just always believe like, if you just take a small step towards anything that you're afraid of, or what if, for example, a budget or living below your means, or really like learning a new skill, if anything, COVID taught us, you know, to learn, to get your money together, to spend time with family, to um, just reach out to your loved ones. And it's always important just to take that, make that one phone mm -hmm. call, take that one step, learn that new skill. So, so yeah, that's so true. And I love that part of the, the message in the book. I want to pivot at, because also you talked about how dreaming impacts our ability to save money and where the state we are today, um, we need to learn how to save more than ever. What advice do you have for someone who is currently having money trouble? Yeah, I mean, savings obviously is a, is a great first step and it's easier said than done. And I think, you know, it's like, yeah, save money. People are like, I don't even know how, like, what do I do? And again, it, it's that idea of, you said the word budget earlier, but it's true. Like having this plan and this purpose of where your money's going. And it's amazing when you actually control your money versus your money controlling you, there is such power in that. And even in a logistical sense, like writing it down on paper and doing a actual budget and living on that and how powerful that is, um, where you're able to save, you're able to actually say, okay, we're going to cut this and put this money aside. We're going to do this. I'm going to bring in extra here and put this aside. So yeah, that saving mentality, I think works with self-sacrifice, but also having a plan around it and all these things, maybe, you know, your listeners, I'm sure listen to you guys and love everything that you're saying because, but, but I still, I do think that there are still things that people can change out there. And if this is a message that you're hearing thinking, oh my gosh, there's just no way there is it. There is power in that change. And there, and if you're making a change to save, because you've never saved before, it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be hard because that's what change is. It is hard. It is uncomfortable, but it is still possible, still possible to do something different with your money today. You're so right. And, you know, I think to what RJ said earlier, you know, what you said also is fear can be paralyzing. And so a lot of times people are afraid to even take that first step, um, like we were saying. And so, you know, when you do have bad money habits, it's a little daunting to even think about changing. And so I guess my question is, how can someone change their bad money? money habits? Because it, it really isn't easy. No, it's not easy. 
uh, it's easier to just do what you know, right? Like what's comfortable and what's familiar in life. It's easy just to continue in that, even though you know what you're doing is not right, it's still comfortable. And so that friction you're going to feel. So yes, some bad money habits. I mean, I would say spending when you're not accountable. So that budget is going to help you. I would say living below your means is huge, not depending on debt to create your lifestyle to say, you know, what, I'm actually going to live with the money that I make and less than that, even ideally, so that you have extra money to throw towards your debt or savings. Um, and even the even the habit of, of giving people are more than ever scared. And when you do that, I feel like your hands constrict and hold tighter the money you do have out of that fear and to be able to say, no, continue to give to when you start to give and let some of that go. Even if you feel like you are barely making your bills, finding like a little, a little something to give, what that does in your heart and your spirit overall, it it changes you. So so I would say, look at the things in your life currently when it comes to money that you're not happy with. Like, what are the things that you don't like? What are the habits? What are the decisions you make day in and day out that that cause those results? And how do you flip that and changing those? So I think it's going to be a little bit specific for person to person, but so key, so key to look at what you've been doing and if you're not happy again with the results, change what you've done to get there. No, we love that. I think it, it's true. Like even for us, you know, when we started the journey to pay off our debt, we had fear. <laughs> we thought, yes. you know what? Debt is supposed to be a part of our life. You know, our student loans, like everyone has student loans. We're going to have it until we're well into our 50s, 60s. Like it's just a part of life. And so, you know, we definitely, you are a huge inspiration as well as your father in helping us, you know, make the decision to start paying down the, the debt. We don't, we no longer compare ourselves to other people <laughs> based on one of your best-selling books. And, you know, we, we definitely needed to start where we were and kind of just make the decision to change those bad money habits that we had. So thank you, Rachel, for inspiring us to just start. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, no, we all did it. And I love what you said too. Just start, take that small step. Like, you know, like you guys said earlier, but I'm like, it's true. Just start, just start somewhere, start where you are and it will get easier. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like going to the gym. Sometimes we have these lofty goals, but it's just, we just need to get there on a consistent right. basis. What we right. do when we get there doesn't matter, but you know, we will burn some calories, maybe not ideally how we want to, but we'll start to get into a routine and then it'll compound much like investing. And then you, by time you know it, you've accomplished your goals. So yes, so, I love it. So yeah, I, I wanted to pivot. Something that's always big for us is being intentional and also just being on the same page about money. Can you talk a little bit, you know, some best practices or tips for couples that want to get intentional with their money? Yeah. I mean, man, this is such an important topic. I mean, the marriage and money together, it's huge. I mean, because money fights and money problems obviously lead to divorces in America. It leads to stress in a marriage. And so getting on the same page is absolutely crucial to win long terms. Yeah. I would say a couple of things. I think number one, embrace your differences. Like we talked about the tendencies earlier, there's going to be differences. So embrace those and say, yes, you're this and I'm this. I'm going to appreciate that about you. That's different than me, but embrace those. And it's okay. It's okay that you're different. You're going to be, that's what caused you guys to probably, you know, enjoy each other and be attracted to each other. Say you're different. So embrace those differences. Um, Number two, I've said the word, but I'm going to say it again, budget together. This is so huge. When you can agree on where your money's going, you're agreeing on more than just the dollars and cents. Like you agree on 
your goals, on your fears, on your dreams, on your weekend plans. Like there's so much that goes into talking about your money month to month that when you can be one as a team, massive. And then part of that, I would say number three tactically is have the same checking account. So many couples have separate checking accounts and it drives me crazy because I'm like, no, it's like you get married. You're like, well, these toys are mine and those are yours. Like, Heck no, it's all one big basket that we have thrown it all in called life. Like we are doing this together. And tactically, it's so much easier working out of one account. But there's also this emotional step that you take. You lose a little bit of control when you feel like you can't just like do your own thing, play in your own sandbox. But you got married to this person. So you are one in every aspect of your marriage. So like eliminating a little bit of that control of what feels like that. Um, Maybe some fear, maybe some uncertainty. And if there is a lot of caution to do that. Ask yourself, why? Is it more about them, right? Like their habits, if they have a gambling addiction or something, sure, that would be scary. I mean, yeah, I get that. Like there may be issues to be worked out. And just the idea of joining your checking accounts, all of those marriage issues arise. But ask that, or is it about you? Is it is it your stuff that you need to work through? Do you have trust issues? Not because of your spouse, maybe because of something else in your life or a level of control that you're giving up. Like it really, I mean, man, your money shows a lot about who you are. And with your spouse, the more you can be on the same page, the more you can agree and the more you can work as a team, I promise it helps flourish more than just your money. Your marriage will change when you say, yep, we're one, we're going to lock arms and do this as a team. No, we um we can't agree with you more and that's those are the exact steps that RJ and I took to really tackle our debt and journey on the path of financial freedom. So, you know, I think you just dropped a lot of gems, <laughs> Rachel, <laughs> for a lot of couples to really just listen to and start taking those steps. So, yeah, so thank you so much because it's not easy. Change is never easy like you said in your book, but it's important to just start where you are. Yeah, and I so agree, you know. I think it's as simple as, you know, when you get married, you're going to share a bed, why not share your bank account too, right? One bed, one account kind of. So <laughs> love know. that. Yes. <laughs> so it's true. Yeah. It's true though. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you're sleeping right next to the person. Exactly. You can't trust them with the money. I know. And I talk about it too in the book, but it's true. I'm like, life's problems, or you could even put marriage problems, masquerade themselves as, as money problems. So it's not always a money problem. It's not always a budgeting problem or a checking account problem. It's usually a problem about something else. And so digging that up and doing the work to figure it out and becoming healthier for yourself and your marriage, it's, it's huge. Yeah. And I think your book can just start that conversation. It, it can initiate the conversation between couples to really start identifying those areas and, you know, seeing what type of money person or what classroom they grew up in or what yes. have you. And so I think your book is great to just start encouraging couples to just communicate healthily about money and their relationship with money. Yeah. And I just was thinking this exercise by reading your book is, you know, there's a book called Five Love Languages. And I just think of this as like the the money languages, right? You're figuring that <laughs> yeah. out. You're having a conversation. You can have your money date night and kind of talk and figure out like what your views are. Um, because, you know, no marriage is perfect. And some people have the conversation before marriage. Some people have it after. So this book will help, you know, bridge the differences and try to take that one step forward. Absolutely. And, and it'll be a continual conversation, right? Like it's not like you get to this finish line in life. Winston and I still have money talks and we we're talking about what we're doing and what we're giving to. I mean, it, it is, it is a constant conversation. So you'll never be perfect at it and it will be continual, which is great. I'm like, you're talking about it, which is huge. Exactly. Yep. So Rachel, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. 
Yeah. And, <laughs> and we really appreciate it. I have one last question yep. for anyone listening today um, who, who trying to get their money right. What do you think is like a couple actionable steps to do today? Today, I would say figure out where you are. So for some people, they just avoid even looking at their checking accounts. They avoid opening bills like they just are in complete avoidance and they don't they're scared to even confront reality. So I would say confront reality, log into your checking account, pull out all of your debts, list out all of your debts today, which is a big task. I know that feels like really heavy, but to do it and to know and see what's going on with your financial life. Um, I would say create a budget, but maybe wait till tomorrow to do that. (laughs) Um, But really to like figure out where you are today, kind of have a state of the union of where are my finances? And I promise it's probably not as scary as you think. They'll build this up in their minds to be like this most horrible thing. And and maybe it's not great. And that's okay. You're going to figure it out. But at least know where you're starting. And that'll give you peace. Having knowledge gives you so much more peace than just writing off of emotion. Oh, I feel like I'm okay. Or I think, no, no, have facts in front of you. And I think that's a great first step. I love that. Basically having a state of the union for your money, (laughs) uh, really just having that audit, figuring out, what's your number is really the key. Like, what is your number? Like, where are you at? So you can figure out where you're going. So really appreciate that, Jim. That was amazing. Um, Really enjoyed you on this podcast. We thank you so much. Lastly, of course, all of our listeners know where to find you, but can you just share it for someone who may be hearing for the first time? Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, The podcast, The Rachel Cruz Show. Uh, I have a YouTube show as well. And yeah, anywhere on social media at Rachel Cruz. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Rachel. I appreciate it so much. Thanks for having me on. Thanks so much. We appreciate it, Rachel. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this episode. If you like what you heard, hit the subscribe button and leave a review. Remember, it all starts with intention. See you next week.